Hi there, and welcome to the T21 Mum podcast, and this is episode 56. My name is Mary, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we'll talk about life, Down syndrome, mamahood, single parenting, and pretty much everything in between. I have a daughter named Ainsley, and she's eight years old and rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome, and I am living life my way. And of course, as always, my friend Ron is joining me here today. Hey, Mary, how's it going? Bit of excitement in your world? (laughs) Well, we're doing okay. We're alive, which is what's important. I wouldn't really say it's excitement, (laughs) but we're, we're doing okay. You are still on your Neely. I I am not actually. Oh, okay. Congratulations. That's a major thing. It is major. I just started walking, if you want to call it that hobbling, uh, without really any aid, uh, just a couple of days ago. I did go to physio and Nona, Dennis's mom took me because I can't drive. And she told me, you need the cane more than me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So nearly free. Good. Good. And poor Ainsley had an incident that we, you know, you mentioned on social media, but some of mm-hmm. our listeners may not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very unfortunate incident. She is fine, but it was very scary. Uh, I was downstairs, not normally down there. And Dennis was upstairs and my brother and his kids were over. And uh, he had taken Ainsley around a little bit on on the Neely, you know, just for fun. And the door to downstairs was left open which it normally is never. And he left the Neely there and Ainsley got on it. I don't think the intent was to go downstairs, but that's where it went. And it was a very loud crash. And I didn't, you know, wasn't sure what happened, but I didn't hear Ainsley right away. I was really hoping it wasn't her, but then I heard her cry and it would scream. And I knew it was, you know, that she was hurting and, I, I hobbled up there and, and unfortunately there was a lot of blood and, uh, but Dennis and my brother got her up and I just said, Oh, please don't let her be missing any teeth. But of course she, she lost two teeth. One was her front permanent tooth, which is really terrible. And unfortunately, because it's not a mature tooth yet, they weren't able to replace it. So as Dana said, she looks like a hockey player, but she's still cute. And then we found out uh, two days later that she actually also broke her arm, her humerus, which is the bone between your shoulder and your elbow. So she just has a little slang that she is quite comfortable with. And is she a hero uh, at school because she's taken a fall? Is she sorry? Is she a hero at school because she took a fall? Because usually that's, <laughs> that's usually one of those badges of honor. Maybe if she had a cast, but uh, we were at the park on Sunday for the first time in nine weeks and we went and Ainsley had a nice time, even with her arm in a sling. And there was a kid from her class there and another girl was there as well. Maybe a cousin of this girl. I'm not sure. And she asked how Ainsley broke her arm. And I said, oh, she took a bad tumble down some stairs. But yeah, so but, you know, within 20 minutes, Ainsley was fine. 
considering the nature of the accident and you know, poor Dennis has a lot of guilt that he left the Neely there and that it was his fault. And I don't blame him one bit. It was just a really unfortunate accident that happened. And accidents are accidents. Yeah. And I said, you know, she's lucky she's alive, really. I mean, okay, in the grand scheme of things, a tooth is not big a deal and a bone will heal. So, you know, and, and, and really- it's another thing, you know, just a reminder to, you know, parents that, you know, kids with Down syndrome don't experience pain at the same level that that you know a typical child or a typical adult would so she didn't even know like until you were saying that she had to move her arms around that she just you discovered the pain yeah like we so it was the next day and we were giving her a bath and she was kind of hesitant to get in like she was crying which isn't normal and then she was fine in the bath but then when i went to get her dressed and put her had her arms over her head. She was crying. And I said to Dennis, I think there's something wrong with her arm. It didn't look broken. It didn't look dislocated. I wasn't really sure what to expect, but you know, every medical professional that I saw over those two days, I did say, you know, people with Down syndrome have a very high pain threshold. So, and also she couldn't really tell me like, you know, my arm hurts, right. She doesn't have that language, but you know, we got it figured out. They took lots of x-rays to make sure it was just that. And she's on the mend. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm glad she's on the mend. I mean, the, you know, the Down syndrome or the Down syndrome resource foundation center balloons. Yes, they did. Ainsley's love them. We got this big bouquet and Dennis goes, we got these balloons. I'm going like, for what? Right. (laughs) And uh, there was a nice little card to say to Ainsley, who's so brave and fearless. So yes, she is my brave and fearless girl. So yes, little shout out to the DSRF there. Thank you. And Ainsley's really thoroughly enjoyed the balloon. So. (laughs) And on to today's show which is something not related, which is kind of related to, to, to Ainsley's successes in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, because part, part of it, because of our guest today, Katie Renald, uh, mm-hmm. our most downloaded episodes are mm-hmm. with Katie Renald. This is her third appearance? Yes. Yeah, her and Susan Fawcett, Dr. Susan Fawcett now, uh, have been each have been on three times. And... Uh, we'll probably have to have Katie on every season because her expertise is so needed in our community. And I don't even think she realized how needed her services were because now she's only focusing on toilet training, right? Toileting. Like she used to, I mean, she's a behavioral consultant, but I, from what I understand is she only is doing like, toileting training for families now and she, and she talks about that in 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 the interview mm-hmm. uh but we're always glad to have the conversation with her because like every guest we never go away without having learned a great deal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm always reading about people having problems or issues or what have you and i always refer them to katie and i've had lots of people say they have used her like on all the, on these various forums. And one of the issues that I always see come up is toileting and older kids. So, which is what we're going to talk about with Katie today, because, you, you know, for me, as I've mentioned previously, 
I remember reading when Ainsley was maybe two about a mom who had a 10 year old boy with Down syndrome and he had zero interest in toileting. And I thought, I don't, I don't want that. I, I don't want to be changing pull-ups or diapers at 10. And so that was a big motivator for me. And, you know, and, but I still, you know, Ainsley's eight now. And I bet I, I read about this all the time. And sometimes they're much older, 15, 17, 20. And so Katie talks about, you know, those challenges and what you can do to help your older kids are obviously these are going to also apply to younger kids as well. But, you know, if people are listening and they want toileting information, they can also go back and listen to the other two episodes as well. Right. And we'll put a link to Katie's uh, website. In the yes. Show. And she, yeah. And she recently started an Instagram account, okay. uh, potty training one Oh one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's go talk to Katie. Okay. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, we have a returning guest. Third time is the charm, I think, and is, I think, our most popular guest, Katie Renald. Welcome back, Katie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back again. Well, and I know many other people will be very happy that you're back again, too, to for you to share your, your knowledge and your expertise and your wisdom. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with your previous two episodes, uh, can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure, of course. Um, so I'm a board certified behavior analyst and I got into the toileting focus because I did my master's degree at UBC um, with Dr. Pat Miranda, who's a really well-known toileting expert. So it was like a big mutual interest for us. It was something I really wanted to study and she has you know, been in that area for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I did that with her in, I think I finished in 2010. So I was working on it for a couple of years before that, but um, yeah, it evolved over time. So now I have a company called Blackbird Special Education mm -hmm. and my whole practice is focused on toilet training. So I work with many families as well as schools and community organizations, lots in BC. And um, we work in families' homes all over BC. Um, and then also we consult to people anywhere with kind of Zoom or, um, telehealth services who need help with toileting because it's a really rare specialty and there's a lot of demand for help in it so I think that may be why these episodes have been so popular because people really need help with this tricky topic oh 100 percent more like a thousand percent I'm sure <laughs> so yes because like you said I think it is a really unique specialty because I don't think there are many people out there like you as I'm sure you're finding and if people aren't haven't already figured it out, that's what we're going to be talking about today is about toilet toileting our, our kids and you are on episode 17 and 26 and those two episodes combined have been over 1000 downloads. And mm. that tells me like right there how many like how much people really need your help and your expertise in in training our kids with Down syndrome who, you know, and a lot of them also have like Ainsley, the dual diagnosis, diagnosis of autism, but like Ainsley, it, it's achievable. And so, mm -hmm. and I, and I read about it a lot for parents like that are just really, really struggling. I always tell them to contact you, but <laughs> you know, and we'll talk a bit today about like some different tips and things like that, but obviously, and we'll give your contact info out at the end of the show is you know, people can contact you to get additional help because I'm sure, uh, you know, when you, when we spoke a little while ago, you told me that you had been helping people like pretty much all over the world, which I think is so exciting. 
Yeah, there especially I think from from your podcast here, a lot of people found my services who who were needing them, who are yeah in Europe and Asia, um, South America, because it's yeah again like just something where there's not there's just not enough information and there's not enough you know people you can contact who. Mm-hmm. We'll give it to you straight, which is really what I'm trying to do, kind of give people like research-based knowledge about toileting. So I'm happy to have this opportunity with you. I really think it'll help some some more families. That's awesome. And we really appreciate it. So because it is really hard to find that information out there. And mm-hmm. um like you know, and you said that you studied under Pat Miranda, and I always call her the the toilet training guru. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're right up there with her as well. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, I learned a lot from her over oh. the years and continue to ask her advice. And yeah, because she's just kind of, yeah, it's nice to put our heads together on it. Because again, there's so few people who do this, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's been a great resource over time. Oh, that's fantastic. So, you know, and I, I've, you know, I'm on a lot of different uh, forums, Down syndrome forums, and I would say, you know, for many, this is like a really a, really a dreaded milestones and a lot of parents, there's a lot of challenges and just, it's just really, it's hard. It's really hard. I tried a couple of times myself and it, I couldn't do it. It was, it was emotionally draining and just really hard, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I know we covered quite a bit about the toilet training in your first two episodes, which are episode 17 and 26 for those out there. Like the first one, episode 17, we talked quite a lot about the rapid toileting method, which is the primary method you use, but obviously there's other methods as well. So if people are interested, they can go back and, you know, get some more in-depth tips there. And, but I thought it would be really beneficial to answer some questions and focus a bit on kids who are a little bit older, like probably 10 years and up, because I I do read about that, especially in the dual diagnosis um, forums, that a lot of parents are really struggling with this. Their kids they're 17, 21, 11, and they're still wearing diapers or pull-ups 24 seven. And they've said nothing has worked. And, you know, one of the questions that I, I did hear, I do hear a lot was uh, they have an older child who will pee in the toilet, but will not poo either because they are scared or it's avoidance you know another mom said her daughter just refuses to sit on the toilet she's nine and is worried about traumatizing her by forcing her to sit on the toilet and she's crying she used to sit willingly she said are you able to talk a little bit about these issues and what parents can do like constipation is a is a big issue in our kids so i know for some that that's part of the issue yeah, this is your opening was a really good question. This is a really common one. And often yet yeah, when we're when we're talking about older kids and teens and young adults, this is something I see a lot. So yeah, you nailed it again, Mary. So um, yeah, I mean, poop can be its own issue entirely. So so many, many kids and teens and young adults that we work with are pee trained, have been for a long time, are totally comfortable peeing on the toilet, but poop is completely separate so uh, and yes as you mentioned constipation really common problem for people with down syndrome um i want to mention before before i move on and forget that something a lot of people don't know i think is that super liquidy stool um can actually be a sign of chronic constipation too like i I think a lot of people think of hard stool Mm -hmm. and straining to poop as a signs of constipation but in some people it presents almost like 
frequent diarrhea. So wow. I don't know if that kind of pings for anybody who's listening, like, well, could my kid be constipated because they're having liquidy poop all the time? Very big possibility. Um, and it's something to definitely talk to your doctor about. Okay. Um, so yeah, when, when we're looking at constipation, whether it presents as, you know, straining to poop and hard stool or liquidy stool, there's something often at play that we call it the D3 cycle. So the three D's in it are discomfort, dread and delay. Mm -hmm. So when someone has an uncomfortable bowel movement, that's the discomfort part, they they'll start to dread pooping on the toilet because they have this memory of the pain. So then they delay pooping on the toilet. So this actually makes the pain and discomfort worse. So the cycle continues and continues, right? Discomfort, dread, delay, discomfort, dread, delay. And and many people with Down syndrome can get stuck in this cycle. Okay. So yeah, if someone's avoiding pooping on the toilet um, or even avoiding pooping in their diaper, um, just avoiding pooping altogether, I'd say number one is to get a medical perspective. Um, you, you just have to talk to your kids uh, primary care provider about what what you can do around this so they'll often have some recommendations about softening the stool um, if they, it is a hard stool situation so that the discomfort part of the discomfort dread delay cycle goes down because then they're you're going to get more buy-in from that person to to work on pooping on the toilet because they're not going to have as much pain and discomfort so that's one piece of the puzzle is managing the hardness of the stool. Okay. Um, and then from there, motivation to sit on the toilet can be a big issue, right? Like that's mm -hmm. what um, one of these little scenarios was here. So around the time the person may need to poop um, and the, you know, there's some evidence, okay, I think, I think you're needing to poop now. Maybe they're a little gassy. Maybe they're trying to go off on their own somewhere. Some some people that we work with will even like ask for a diaper when they need to poop. That's a surefire sign. Okay. Um, then they should in some way just be offered some really cool stuff for sitting on the toilet. You want to do sort of a conditioning process around the toilet. So iPad, favorite snacks, whatever, and try to associate those things with the toilet. Um, but sometimes if it's really bad and they're, they're sort of fear around the toilet, you might temporarily use something other than the toilet. So um, since we're talking about people over 10, I wouldn't say, you know, a little potty in most situations because we're talking bigger bodies here um but sometimes using like a camp toilet um which is you know basically a bucket mm -hmm. with, with a seat on top <laughs> something like that not yeah. so glamorous but that can really help at, at having them sit there first if they've developed some sort of fear or resistance around the toilet it, there's you you never want to be in a situation where you feel like you're forcing them to sit they're not going to poop they're not going to relax if you're I, I don't know, pushing them hard to do it. So sometimes if you start with something that's totally neutral and they mm -hmm. don't have this negative history and fear around, you'll get more, it'll be easier to get them to sit. So you can sit on this camp toilet. Maybe at first it's, you know, just, just outside the bathroom even. So we're not even going in there, that place you don't like to go. Um, you can sit on the camp toilet. You can have your iPad. Here's all your favorite snacks. It can be a way to get them going um, okay. without, without uh, facing that big fear. So it really depends. I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, mm -hmm. but if you've got a lot of fear and a lot of resistance, sometimes starting with a more neutral object instead of the toilet might help. So yeah, without knowing a lot about the situation, those are the first things I would, I would look at, I would say the medical part is, is big. Yeah, I would definitely talk okay. to the doctor about that. And especially if it's something where, you know, constipation 
and fear around using the toilet and all those sort of things, they evolve over time. So if you talk to the doctor about it, you know, a year ago and they didn't have much advice, well, the situation might've changed a little bit now. So it gives them more, you know, okay, here's what I'm noticing. Here's what I'm noticing now. Um, what can I do around this? And I'm, I'm finding that, um, that as sort of medical research evolves too, doctors are more apt to suggest um, things like, you know, giving you a really specific dose of laxative you should be giving, or even a suppository each day for a little mm -hmm. while. They'll really work with you closely on that. And I, I've found that can really, really help. But I, you know, in my position as a behavioral analyst, I can't say, try a suppository, you really need a medical um, angle on that. But I find that sort of multidisciplinary approach can really, really help for um, these issues when they're ongoing over time. Okay. Oh, yeah. Tr tricky one. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And I mean, and then an, another mom, but I think you kind of answered that. She said, mm -hmm. uh, she doesn't know how to get her son to relax on the toilet. He strains to pee and can't poop on the toilet, but he does go in his nighttime diaper. So I'm kind of guessing that's basically what you said is try, like what you just said is to try maybe a different way, like the camp toilet just outside the bathroom you know, maybe, mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to know just from like these one-off questions because there's, yeah. I'm sure there's always more, there could be more dynamics going on. But I think what you said was really great advice. And I do recall you talking about that in the second episode too, because I do, I think I did go to a, a long time ago, a, a session with Pat Miranda. And she always, one thing that always stuck with me, is says, don't train, don't start on a, a, a potty because you'll train twice. But obviously there's, exceptions to everything so like what you were just saying because if there's the fear of the toilet you got to start somewhere else right like exactly yeah, yeah. It's, i would say that's an exception like if if it usually yes totally start with the toilet why not it's the simplest thing to do that's where you want them to eventually do it anyway and also there's not going to be a camp toilet at every you know at the school at every community center but there will be like a, a nice white porcelain toilet right so um for generalization it's a good thing too but just sometimes when there's that much fear yeah it's not worth it to to really push you don't want to be pushing somebody to sit on the toilet and poop you want them to kind of um you know consent to doing it like want to do it and be okay with it um i do think that the the um you were mentioning that one mom had a question about um her son would strain to pee can't poop mm -hmm. on the toilet but does go in his nighttime diaper i definitely think yeah you might you might be somebody who would benefit from the camp toilet kind of method but also when when they're when the learner is really tied to their diaper as the place they poop it can sometimes be um it can be good to use that strategy that we talked about, I think in the, the last episode as well, about using, letting them poop on the toilet, wearing their diaper at first. Mm -hmm. um, that can be kind of the first step. We would use what we'd call like a shaping procedure. So um, first, when that person obviously has to poop, you would give them their diaper and say, I'd like you to try to sit on the toilet and poop um, in your diaper, which seems kind of funny. It's not, you know, a little counterintuitive, right? To just say, sit and poop in your diaper um, but it can be the first step in the right direction and you can actually start cutting the diaper away over time um, so that the diaper plays less of a role it's just sometimes that feeling on their body of the the diaper really really helps people to poop and it, it's mm -hmm. like 
yeah, it just feels right. And we need to get them to learn. Actually, it could, it could feel right to poop on the toilet too. We just need to slowly make that happen for you. So he might be somebody who would benefit from slowly cutting the diaper away over time as he sits on the toilet. Um, and yeah, I could, I could see that being a strategy that worked. I should mention too, if, if you ever do use the cutting, anybody who's listening, if you ever use the cutting the diaper away, please take it from me that you should tape up the, the cut part with like some sort of soft oh. tape. Yeah, because yeah, like, the inside of diapers are so gross and gritty and the textures, ugh, people hate it getting it on their skin, right? So just to make it a more, you know, friendly process altogether, just tape it up so the sort of insides, the guts okay. of the diaper aren't spilling out. So yeah, that, that might be, that might be the case for that, that little guy who's, <laughs> um, yeah, who's wanting to poop in his diaper for sure. Okay. Oh, great. More awesome. More tips from Katie. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and Something else that came up a lot was, you know, dealing with behavioral issues around toileting. Like one woman wrote, her daughter uses the toilet when she feels like it, you know, like she's pretty consistent at school and, but she'll pee on the floor if she's distracted, angry or bored or wanting attention. And I, I think that means like at home that she does that. So any suggestions for that? Yes. Oh, this can be so frustrating as a parent. I think I feel this woman, like, my <laughs> daughter is peeing on the floor when she's, like, mad. Yeah, so it's very frustrating. Um, my impulse from hearing this is that I, I'd strongly recommend the parent ignore that as best they can. Um, okay. It's not a toileting issue per se. It's more of a behavioral issue. Like, it's problem behavior. Um, so I would treat it like you would if your daughter was doing anything else that's, you know, problematic kind of but not unsafe or really destructive and you know she's doing it for attention the, the general advice right is just ignore it try to redirect her to something else um, that she can get your attention for in a in a more appropriate way so if she sees you having a big reaction or mm -hmm. like reprimanding her you might see her engage in that behavior more like this does come up when we're doing toileting um with uh, some some learners with down syndrome for sure it's like a they kind of have this history of attention motivated problem behavior where they kind of love a, a reprimanding reaction so like yep. maybe in this yeah yeah does that sound familiar in oh, this yeah. situation yeah I think like maybe one time the the daughter tried this and mom or dad or somebody was like hey what are you doing we don't do that come on like and then they kind of went oh and it's something that happens again and again so I I would say just from here on out if I were if I were this family I would be neutral 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 um and not let her see you sweat not let her see you have a reaction because I don't like if it if it happens in pro as problem behavior it's um yeah like it's it's not a toileting issue it's a behavioral issue and and treat it as such I would say um and I mean we we generally want to err on the side of saying toileting accidents the kid's not doing it on purpose. Like it's, it's actually really, really rare. Um, this scenario that this parent described, it, it does sound like that to me actually, but, but I do think that in general, in my experience, parents tend to think accidents are problem behavior when, when they're not. So don't, don't go looking for that. I want to say like, um, how to describe this, I guess, like some parents will say to me, uh, you know, I know he knows how to use the toilet because if I say to him, where do you pee? He says the toilet, but then he goes and pees on the floor. So he's doing <laughs> it on purpose. And I go, oh, he's not though. He's being able to say that, being able to complete that phrase or fill in the blank is a very different skill 
than knowing and understanding that you're always supposed to pee in the toilet and not have accidents. So no, no, he's not, he's not Uh, messing with you. He's not that being able to say it does not mean he knows how to do it. Right. But this scenario that this parent described where it's like the kid obviously wants attention right now and an accident appears. Yeah. I think it's a problem behavior one. So yeah, I just want to say it's not usually problem behavior. Don't go looking for that, but it can (laughs) be at times. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And Susan Fawcett, who we had on, she talked a lot about uh, dealing like using positive behavioral supports and, and, and yeah, that's a big thing in our kiddos is they react to positive and negative attention. And I've had to really learn uh, to be neutral. It's hard. You have to really practice, yes. but it's, it can be done. Yeah. Cause uh, Ainsley used to toss her, her, dinner plates all the time. If I got up from the table, even for a moment, I'm only a few steps away, she would toss it and it was so frustrating. And I remember our OT at the time said, you got to remain neutral. And and I worked really hard on that. It did take a while, but you know, and eventually she stopped throwing, but yes. That's a perfect example. Yeah, totally. Like, and it's, it's like that throwing the dinner plate is totally the equivalent (laughs) to peeing on the floor. That's a great episode. Everybody should, if you haven't (laughs) listened to that episode of Susan Fawcett about uh, positive behavior support, listen to it now after this one, because it's going to be, I think there's people um, could take a lot from that that could help with their toileting issues for sure. So yeah, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's another big uh, one that's been downloaded a lot too. So yes. yeah. Cause I, and cause like you said, like I thought it was very interesting that you said like he might be able to say he knows where the, that you pee in the toilet, but he might not understand that's where yes. you pee. So I thought, that's good advice. Like I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that totally makes sense. So, and yes, you know, and I read in a lot of different forums and one issue that comes up constantly is their child is just not interested. Like they will sit in a soiled pull up. They just don't seem to care. And, you know, and I hear this mostly from the old, like, parents of older kids and and that was my personal biggest motivator as I read years ago I think Ainsley was maybe two that this mom said her son was 10 and he had no interest in toileting and that was my biggest motivator to get Ainsley toilet trained because I thought I don't want her to be 10 and I'm changing pull-ups at that age yeah. poopy pull-ups nobody wants to be doing that at 10 years old so what are your thoughts on this yeah, this is another really great question. I, I think, yeah, I think the idea that the child needs to be interested in toilet training comes from these sort of like, you know, prerequisites. You can't see I'm doing little finger quotes, prerequisites to toilet training that you hear about. Like if, if you Google toilet training, you know, one of the first things you'll see come up is that you should wait for your child to want to do it on their own. Um, like they should, you know, want to be out of there. They should be uncomfortable in their soiled diapers. Like you were, you were saying, um, they should ask to go they should say they want underwear they should approach the toilet on their own but there's actually no research to support the idea that it's necessary to wait for this um and it, it may be easier to toilet train some little you know typically developing toddlers if you wait for them to think it's their idea yes i will i i do think that's true but for some um not all but some learners with down syndrome the spontaneous interest and toileting may not appear ever so I never advise people to wait for it to wait until the child's interested because you might 
literally wait forever. Okay. Um, and that can be for many different reasons. And again, for some learners with Down syndrome, that's not the case at all. They actually are interested really early. So it's not, it's not at all universal, but it's just, it's dangerous to tell people to wait for that because they, again, they could be waiting forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this, all these myths that float around about what the prerequisites are, but they are just that they are myths. Um, so, I mean, what we do in practice is we, we fake it, basically. Yeah, we try to make the toilet like a really cool and interesting place by, like I was touching on this a little bit already, um, associating it with some of their favorite things. So we, if they love the iPad, they can play with that while they sit on the toilet. They love blowing bubbles. They can do that on the toilet. So um, we kind of pair the toilet with other things that, that that person really, really loves to do and um, make the interest grow from there is the goal. Uh, make them want to sit because they associate sitting with fun. Because um, yeah, if you again, if you wait for them to say they're ready to be toilet trained again, you you may never you may never hear that. So it's a really really dangerous uh, concept, I guess. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, it's a pretty it's a really pervasive myth. Like uh, even you know if you look up what the um, Canadian Pediatric Society says about toileting. Uh, they they say all those things wait for the child to be ready don't push it like wait for them to and I, I don't I don't advocate pushing it like again I don't want the the learner to be uncomfortable I want them to enjoy the process but um, the idea of waiting for interest is a worry it's it's definitely mm-hmm. a worry um, and there's some sort of rumblings of uh, working to change health policy around this and making sure that that um, that bad information goes away because it's uh, again don't don't even google it you'll be shocked like how much yeah. is out there and how is how untrue it is it's just truly like I think Pat Miranda would say someone just made this up at some point I, I shouldn't, like I can't quote her directly but yeah. someone made this up and it's become this myth that's just everywhere you turn you hear it like it's really frustrating to us who work in the field because we we feel so bad for families who like you know every week I have somebody with a 10 or 12 or 13 year old contact me and say well they just never seemed ready so I haven't really tried and I go oh who told you that right like it's not I and I again we we fake it we we help them learn to be ready kind of um but again in a way that's fun and we're not pushing it the way I think um some people would worry that we do because mm-hmm. we're we're not waiting for these so-called prerequisites but anyway it was a lot it was a long response I hope that's I okay. hope I was coherent there but it's it's a I'm passionate about this issue because readiness is largely a myth and something that you can help the learner get to on their own um by making toileting fun, fun basically yeah and I like I like what you said like you fake it so you fake it till you make it yeah <laughs> absolutely that's exactly right yeah and then you also mentioned and I know we touched on this on the previous episodes where you said like if they're not interested make it fun on the toilet like their iPad or blow bubbles so would you mm-hmm. not allow them to have their iPad or do bubbles outside of the bathroom Ah, that's a good question. I, I, it's not as, it's not as precious as like the things that they get for actually peeing or pooping on the toilet. Yeah. Those things we always want to save 
I, and we, I do, I definitely, I hope people will listen to the other episodes as well, because we talked about that in a lot of detail, and you're asking some questions about that, that I think people would, or questions people would have. So yeah, it's, it, the things that they have for sitting on the toilet can be things that are pretty cool that they really do like, mm-hmm. um, but the things that they get for peeing and pooping on the toilet should be things that while you're in this sort of really focused toileting phase, they don't get them any other time. So right. yeah, they, those things should be special. Um, that being said, like that there's, that's the general rule, but there are always exceptions. So um, if the if this person that you're working on toilet training with is really, really hating sitting on the toilet and it's it's a huge issue just to getting get them to make those first steps toward it, then you might need to consider, okay, we have to make the toilet really special. So we're gonna restrict these most, most favorite things just for the toilet for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have to make that call in a pretty pretty serious situation of them not wanting to sit, right? Then it might be like, okay, sorry, iPad's really just for toilet time. You can have it anytime you want as long as you're on the toilet. Um, that can be what gets by in because otherwise I mean if they know they get it off the toilet and on the toilet mm-hmm. why do they want to sit on the toilet right so you sometimes need a little more a little more juice like a little more you know um, power behind a reward item so you might need to save it just for sitting in that case for sure yeah great great question yeah and, and that reminded me I I don't know if it was you or Susan I can't remember but someone said and it was probably for the same reason their daughter wasn't that interested. they kind of made their i mean they kind of went all out but they made their bathroom like a, a disco hall like i think they had mm. like a, a you know those globes that you know the disco balls yep. and stuff like that and you know they went to that extent but it worked and and mm-hmm. then and i know i recall you also saying uh you had one family they and i see it more now that that cameo they had a one of his wrestling star or whatever oh yeah message that he would mm-hmm. that totally motivated him that every time he he went he he got to listen to the message so there's lots of you just have to really think like what you said like you really think about what motivates your child and what their interest is to to really hone in on that because that can be the real key to their success so absolutely um, yeah yeah. you have to get creative sometimes to make it really motivating um Mm -hmm. especially especially when we're talking about this older population like it's often they've got this history where they've you know they've used their diaper for all these years they're really happy doing that so to push them toward wanting to use the toilet you need some yeah the big guns some really really cool stuff that they'll really 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 like yeah absolutely what do you think in your experience because it sounds like you've dealt with kids of all ages and Mm -hmm. you know and I know that your services are in such huge demand but what do you think for older kids or who are kids who are in their teens or older and that aren't toilet trained what do you think is the biggest issue at play or I guess what do you think is preventing it in your experience? Huh, I, th- I think it's, it's tough to say a general thing because their situations can be so varied. But mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing is probably that they've, when they're, as the years go on, they've had mixed messages over the years. Like, yeah, honestly, a metaphor for this in my house is like our Tupperware cabinet I'll explain what I mean so I feel like it's universal everyone struggles to organize their Tupperware and make sure that the lids match the containers so I you know trying to be an organized person I'll sometimes decide I'm going to tackle it and I'll devise a system that I think is great so I'll say okay we're going to put the lids on each container then we're going to stack them all up and I'll tell my husband this is what we're doing and he goes great okay 
And then after a few weeks, I'm frustrated because the containers with their lids aren't are taking up too much space. So then I change the initiative and I say, okay, well now we're gonna keep the lids in the drawer and we're gonna keep the containers in size order here and I'll tell him. And he goes, great, got it. And then that <laughs> doesn't work, right? So the lids and containers are gonna all mixed up. So then I you know, buy a special little lid holder that hooks on the inside of the cupboard. I tell him, put the lids in the lid holder and my husband goes, great. So the next day, you know, I go to get a container and he's got the lids and containers all mixed up in the cupboard. And I go, what about the system? And he goes, what, what system? What is the system? And it's, it's like, if you were to call my husband right now and say, how is Tep Tupperware organized in your home? He would, he would say, I do not know. No. Like, I don't know. And in this metaphor, it's like, my husband is the kid who's not toilet trained. Like, if that makes sense. So the plan has been changed on him a lot by me, right? Very, very often I, I see histories in toileting where the learner, like maybe was making a bit of progress and it was kind of working, but then for some reason, the, the other people involved, like the school or the parents or the support workers, they change the initiative on them. And it, it's often out of those people's control. It's like mm -hmm. the kid was actually kind of doing okay and starting to get it, but then they got a new support worker and they like, they weren't comfortable with that person. So it kind of stopped. The toileting went on the back burner or, um, you know, they, they were, they were getting it, but then they had a bit of backsliding and they started having lots of accidents. So their parents were like, oh, we just can't deal with this right now. We're going to go back in diapers for a while. So the initiative keeps changing on the kid where if, if you were able to ask the kid, they'd go, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing actually, like my poor husband and the Tupperware. So yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's the, it's that nothing has been stuck to, to the degree that was necessary is very, very often the, the situation. Like it's, if, if, um, if one toileting initiative was really, really carried out and I, I can't say there's no definitive amount of time that would need to be, I, I don't, I don't know. Like it depends so much on each situation, but sticking to it can be really, really key. Mm -hmm. um, one thing is a, a big one in terms of sending mixed messages is going back and forth, forth between underwear and pull-ups, underwear and okay. pull-ups. That can yeah. be really confusing. Like just kind of biting the bullet and going into just underwear can be really, really key, even if it means lots of accidents. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a learner who's having some long-term challenges with toileting, um, you, again, I, I always advocate as much as you can keeping them in underwear and you can actually get these little plastic covers um, that go over their underwear that can kind of like hold in any really big pee accidents. And that can be something that's better than diapers, for example. And like just that change can help some learners get this mm -hmm. um, because they're not going back in a diaper when they've had a bunch of accidents in a row and everyone's frustrated. Well, okay, we can put the plastic covers on so everybody's not as frustrated by big accidents, but we're still sending them the message of, look, your underwear is wet. We can tell it's wet. We're gonna react to that. Um, so yeah, this is, it's complicated, right? Like how, mm -hmm. what, what could have gone wrong varies so much, but I do think when you're, when you're on a path, you've got to stick to it, um, and kind of make some, yeah, make some bottom lines around that where, okay, we're not going back to diapers no matter what, here we go kind of thing. Right. Yeah. To I totally hear you on that. Cause I know Ainsley's aide at school, like she was completely on board and she goes, I've toilet trained lots of kids before Ainsley. And I know 
like that, like you said, that helps in the success because there's the continuation. And I, I remember you came to the school and we had like a little powwow or a little mm -hmm. meeting, you know, mm -hmm. just to make sure that everyone was on board. And one of the things that I do for Ainsley, uh, I, is I actually just use like a little panty liner and, mm -hmm. you know, just prevents little bit of leaks and stuff. I mean, obviously it's not going to prevent like a whole big leak, but mm -hmm. it just, you know, is a little bit preventative, you know, in case they can't quite get to the bathroom quite in time or what have you. So, and I have found that that's worked really well for her. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a better, much better solution than going, oh, we're having a bunch of accidents, better put her back in a pull-up, right? Because she's going to, she's going to feel that. It feels a lot different than those mm -hmm. super thin panty liners do. So yeah, sticking, staying the course is big. It's big, big, big in making um, success happen over the long term for sure. Okay, that's good to know. And I, and I know, and I'm sure for these parents that are listening, where they do have the kids that are older, and I mean Ainsley was younger, and I tried to do it a few times by myself, and it it was just so hard. It was so emotionally mm -hmm. draining that sometimes, like, you need to hire somebody like you, like Katie, or even just bringing in someone to help you, like mm -hmm. a teenager or whatever, or something just, you know, just so you can sort of stay the course because, you know, like that's the key, right? Is you can't just sort of give up partway through, even though you're just done. But yeah, because the kids have to understand the process and that they're in underwear now. And, and this is what it yep. is. So. And I remember yeah, when Ainsley was first in underwear, I was so excited. I thought, oh, she looks so cute in her little underwear. You know, it was exciting. So yeah, it's pretty great when it's, when it happens. Right. And you, you gotta, yeah, just sticking to that alone can be a huge, huge part of, yeah, again, continued success. Yeah. Now you've kind of touched on this, but maybe you might be able to elaborate a little bit another mom posted that her her son is 21 and like nothing has worked to any significant degree she said her son has showed lack of interest which we just talked about bribes don't work he'll hold his pee all day long refuses to go for his mom but will sometimes go for a favorite support worker and sometimes will go for his dad at bath time so it sort of sounds like it's all over the map but do you have any tips yeah. or suggestions on that? Yeah, just hearing that. I mean, the fact that he will sometimes go is good. Like that's, you know, mm -hmm. okay, something is happening here. Um, I, I think that I would suggest starting at the place where some success is happening. So the fact that he will often go for a favorite support worker is a great sign. And I would probably end up suggesting like a sort of immersive focus on on toileting to get him to a point where he's really mastering it with the support worker and okay. then transfer to dad and then transfer to mom. So it's kind of like start with the place he's the, the, the person, I should say, the setting where he's most successful, then go to the second most hard and then go to the most hard. So with mom right now, he's never okay. going. Um, so once he's kind of fluent, like actually really going all the time on the toilet with the support worker, the expectation can grow a little bit and he could, he could be expected to go with other people. Um, and I do think that yeah, um, using reward items can be pretty key. It, it might be just they weren't the right ones. Like mm -hmm. you, you were mentioning earlier how I, I told a story on one of the last episodes about a kid getting the cameo from his favorite wrestler. Like it might be something kind of off the wall like that where mm -hmm. the motivation has to be extra, extra big for, for this guy. Um, 
And also that, again, he gets over the, the hurdle, the hardest part with someone else who's not mom or dad. Right. Um, that, that can really happen. Um, there's, there's some research about this um, that for, for parents, it can be really hard for them to be the like initial change agent, we call it. So the first person who makes a, a really hard new behavior happen with their own child that that it just in some situations for some different reasons it can be really hard for parents and I, I mean my my take is that it's their their history with them right it's like that mixed messages thing I was just talking about so the parents tried this in a bunch of different ways and the kid in this case the young adult has learned ah just wait them out they'll they'll stop they're they're gonna have to go make dinner they're gonna yeah, yeah just just wait them out and they'll like but the support worker they don't have that kind of relationship they have sort of an instructor relationship probably mm. right so some for some learners they're just going to do better if they do it with someone else first not not all but some so that's something to kind of look for um and just because he kind of won't or can't do it with mom now doesn't mean he won't do it with her in the future he just might need to get super super good at it with other people first and then transfer to mom later okay. um so it's it's possible i just want to say like there's no age cap after which toileting can't happen. Like it really can happen for adults um, who haven't been able to master it yet. It's again, the right combination of things, right? Of variables like motivation, the right people, consistency, kind of putting it all together is, is really key. Yes. And I do recall you saying, I think it was in the first episode, and I was astounded by the fact that the rapid toileting method is based on some research, I think from the 70s, where it was a group mm -hmm. of special needs adults in their 30s and 40s, if I remember correctly. So those yeah. are people who were successful in the five day toileting method. And mm -hmm. when you think about it, those are adults, you know, with some different needs who have been in diapers or pull ups for their whole life. So mm -hmm. it's, it is possible. And I always, I, when I'm chatting with different parents online and stuff, I, I often tell them this, so it can happen. Like I, and I know you said that like barring any other medical issues, I think most of our kids can be successful at, at toileting. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, it just, it's a really, it's important to know that like exactly like the research exists. Yes, it can happen. Um, and it it's, yeah, it's just, it can be, it can take time. It can be complicated, but um, it can happen. Like you kind of have to, you have to go forward with that idea, right? It can happen, even though it's been challenging up to this mm -hmm. point for, for your kid, it's possible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and like I've said previously, like me trying to do it, it was just too emotional. Like the, yeah. like, like I could probably go in and help someone else's child, but when you're dealing with your own child, it's just, cause you just feel like there's just so much at stake and you want it so bad for mm -hmm. yourself and for your child that sometimes that, that those emotions can get in the way of the end goal, I think. So that's just totally. my personal, you know, experience of doing mm -hmm. it because it, yeah. it was hard, you know, and, and I hear about this all the time, like regardless of the age of the child or young adult is how can we get them to initiate and i don't know if this is something for you to to help with like ainsley is like kind of 50 50 you know she'll i'll take her regularly but and sometimes she'll say she has to go but often she'll say not often but especially in the beginning after she first saw you she would say bathroom bathroom to get out of doing stuff mm -hmm. so but 
is there any kind of i and a lot of parents want that they want the initiation but i think really they should i mean for me personally i'm just happy that she's going like that she's staying dry during the day but you know and i think parents want them to like because that's also an additional life skill that you can go to the bathroom on your own so i don't know if you have any tips or tricks for that yeah that's it's a it is a definitely a common question i i think it, it is something to kind of manage your expectations around as a parent when you're starting toilet mm-hmm. training because i i would say if if the the learner doesn't already request many things from you um, or actions from you readily you can't really expect them to request toilet use like it's hard it's it's complicated um there's steps involved and uh for them to want to do it um is often a little bit down the road. So if they're like, look at sort of their overall communication skills. If yeah, they they tell you what they want, they tell you what they need, they tell you if they want to go somewhere in some way, not necessarily verbal. It could be with an um, alternative or augmentative communication device, could be with a PEX system or something like that. But if they're really good at telling you what they want to need, then once they've kind of got toileting um, in the sense that when you take them to the toilet, they'll pee or poop easily, readily, quickly, they're not having accidents, then you could start training them to, to tell you that they want to go using whatever way you, you've taught them to, um, to ask you other stuff, right? So okay. often like an SLP will have you, if you have an a speech pathologist involved, they'll have you on sort of a, a plan or have given you some instruction on how to teach your child to request things. You would use the same strategies um, that you use for those to get them to request toileting. But yeah, when when they're not really easily or readily telling you what they want to need, it's I, I would say it's a good idea to make peace with the idea that they'll sort of be in a trip trained phase for, for a while. Um, and trip training generally means, yes, this person will pee or poop when they're when they're brought to the toilet by someone else they will try hard to pee or poop anytime they're brought to the toilet and a a lot of parents like you said mary are like that's good i'm pretty happy with that like accidents are lower lower zero um this person understands that they're supposed to kind of push and try to pee or poop when they're taking the toilet pretty awesome like that's that's pretty cool um and usually like a, a lot of the time initiation just starts to happen pretty organically from there like when when people are at home um especially I've noticed it's been interesting with um, COVID because everyone's been at home so much. Um, I'm finding that a lot of the families that we work with are saying, yeah, he's totally going into the bathroom on his own, which is great, even faster than we expected because they're home so much, right? Um, It ends up being easier to work on than when they're on their typical like intensive schedule of schools and therapies and activities and horseback riding and swimming and all that stuff. It's a little bit harder for the trainee to have just enough consecutive hours at home to, to really get the grasp on the fact that I can just go into the bathroom when I want to. Um, but with COVID, it's been kind of interesting to see, yeah, lots of lots of kids are getting that part on their own. So I do, it's kind of a wait and see thing. Um, it's case by case, but sometimes I say, okay, we've learned that this this trainee, if we take them to the toilet about every two hours, that seems to be the sweet spot. They'll be able to pee, then they can go another two hours. So that's awesome. I'll say to, to parents, okay, maybe start pushing it a bit. So wait for two hours, 15 minutes then wait for two hours 30 minutes then wait for three hours some trainees will just start going on their own and some won't and then we know they need a little more instruction um so it's 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 a complicated thing initiation but 
um, I hope that gives some idea of the angles to approach it from, um, mm-hmm. that it, it can be, yeah, it can just be really varied depending on other skills that the, the trainee has. Um, but it's, it's something that it might take a, might take more time to get initiation than you initially thought perhaps, but it is something that most people do achieve over time. Okay. And I guess that kind of aligns with the next question I had about, you know, cause a lot of our kids with the dual diagnosis, they're not very verbal or they are completely nonverbal. So people are saying, well, how can I toilet train if the child is nonverbal and can't even communicate that they need to go? But I think you kind of touched on that, like, you know, because Ainsley wasn't super verbal when she started, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like she could say bathroom or whatever, but, you know, like you said, it's a lot of it's the trip training. And I mean, Mm -hmm. still, even now, a lot of it is trip training, but she'll say she has to go. But, you know, and I, like for me, I'm quite happy with that, right? It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, every parent's different, but I guess that's kind of, that would be pretty much what you were just talking about. Like, even if they are nonverbal, you can like, however you're communicating with them, either through sign language packs, or maybe through um, touch chat on the iPad or, or whatever communication device, like that's how they would initiate to tell you to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you would you would fold it into kind of how you teach them other types of communication for sure. Um, But I would I would yeah, give them some time to get there, get them really, really good at the trip training part and then start adding in more instruction around actually communicating it. Yeah, but it's again, it's possible. It's something over time can happen for sure. Okay, that's, that's awesome to know. So and then I'm just kind of going through all the questions that we got. But another mom said her son will go on the toilet but is not toilet trained, you know, when he soils his pull up, he and he's 11, he he often will go to the bathroom and he dumps the poop in the toilet and then puts himself in the path, which I thought was pretty good. Um, mm. And but she said he will go somewhere and go in his pull up and then goes into the bathroom. And I like just with chatting with you, do you think that could be back going back to the avoidance? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Like he he might be he might be having a bit of a bit of pain around pooping for sure a little discomfort um okay and he's yeah but but you you never know for sure but it's it sounds like probably he needs that pull-up feeling on his body to poop he's one of those guys so he might also be someone who benefit from what we were saying where you you sit on the toilet in the pull-up to poop Mm -hmm. then slowly kind of cut it away over time i should say too like sometimes that's not getting to the point of just sitting on the toilet in the pull-up and pooping that in itself can take a bunch of steps actually it's not as easy as I'm making it sound perhaps like because he it sounds like maybe he so he goes somewhere else to poop in his pull-up he might have a spot that he likes for some sort of like ergonomic reason like he might like I sometimes see kids who really like to they poop in their pull-up but they like to do it leaning over the back of the couch or they like to do it mm-hmm. squatting and holding onto the banister of the stairs. So if that's the position he's used to pooping in and he only poops in that way, you sometimes kind of have to find a way to like simulate that in the bathroom. Um, so some trainees, when they they love pooping in like a, you know, crouching position, sometimes they really benefit from for a little while having in the bathroom like a, um, a frame around the toilet that they're usually the, a really good one is a kind that's meant like for seniors who need mm-hmm. a little um, little handles to be able to get off the toilet more easily. And you can get these kind of cool like, you know, handlebars you can put beside the toilet, right? Or the way that... Um, 
uh, sort of wheelchair accessible bathrooms often have bars on the walls beside the mm -hmm. toilet. Um, yeah. Those are things that can really benefit um, kids who love to like hover or squat when they poop. It might be the bridge that is needed to get him onto the toilet. So that's something to think about too, is if he loves to squat, let him, you know, hold onto this frame and squat over the toilet in his diaper to poop for a while. Um, and then once he's really comfortable doing that, you could start trying to ease him into the idea of sitting on the toilet while holding onto those bars, not squatting over it. Um, so this okay. th this can look different for, for different kids, depending on how they like to poop mm -hmm. um, and how they're used to pooping. Um, so yeah, it could, like, I, yeah, I know this is a bit, this is a bit yucky to think about, but like, you know, if I were to, if I were told you need to poop in a diaper now, I would probably find it really hard to do, you just, just, you know, standing yeah. up or squatting, like you, you, mm -hmm. my, my body knows you poop sitting on the toilet and that's how I want to poop. You know what I mean? For, yeah. for these kids that we're working with often, it's the opposite. So right. he's like, what do you mean sit on the toilet? No, I stand, I squat. So he, he might even be trying, okay, well, my mom really wants me to do this and I'm going to try to do it, but it's really, really hard because I like to hold onto the banister. So you kind of meet him halfway and give him something okay. like that. So sometimes it's complicated and, you know, materials are involved. Um, it's not as simple as just saying, just sit on the toilet and poop in your diaper. It can be, there can be more to it than that. Yes. Yeah. I want to say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Lots of great info. Now, the next question I have is kind of interesting. This one mom says her son was trained at six, but he broke his back a few years ago. He's late teens, early twenties now, I believe, and now has a bit of leakage and a small little poos almost daily. She is wondering if they use a shield in his underwear. I'm kind of guessing like maybe a pad or something. Mm -hmm. uh, would this make him go more or does she just accept this? And then another parent suggested her to go to an osteopath for his back and perhaps that will help. So, I mean, that might be out of your expertise area, but what are your thoughts about that, about using a shield or like, she didn't specify shield. I'm, I'm guessing she means like a, a liner or a pad or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. I, I do think that it sounds like it, it could be medical for sure, mm -hmm. because it's so tied to this that break, breaking his back which sounds awful yeah. um so I do think a lot like a liner of some kind as thin as possible feels less like a diaper as possible um wouldn't hurt um but I I do think it's something that probably more medical inquiries needed for sure as to why it's happening um and how it can be improved because it's yeah, the fact that he was trained for so many years um, makes me think it's not behavioral because he, he knows exactly how to go poop in the toilet, but there could be some disruption to the sensation that maybe maybe a little more medical intervention could help. Um, okay. So yeah, it's a bit out of, my, out of my wheelhouse for sure. Yeah, okay, that's kind of what I was thinking too, but I, I just thought, well, we'll ask anyways, just to get <laughs> your advice. And yeah. then- and this one is a big one, uh, is another commonly seen issue that I read about all the time is how to get our kids to stay dry, dry overnight. Now I am happy to report that Ainsley has finally achieved this on her own. I, you know, I, mm. I mean, I'm a little scared to go completely commando, but, uh, <laughs> but she, you know, she, she's done it. And like, I'm so proud of her that she, and it's been a while now. So it's like probably six months and because i know like we we talked like because during i think when ainsley was going back to school because we had a lot of regression in the toileting with covid and because mm -hmm. it was horrible but and 
you know, and we chatted and you said, just start with a simple reward. And I, I did like a jelly bean and I tell mm -hmm. you that worked like that. Oh. It was instantaneous, Katie. So oh, for, wow. yeah. So for people who are listening, like, I just keep wanting to reiterate that you just know your stuff and, you know, like I, I was shocked that it worked. I think it was like, yeah, the first or second try it, it was, it was done. So it was good. Oh, that's so great. I'm so yeah. happy for you and Ainsley. You. You're like cr cruising to a totally diaper-free existence, which is very exciting. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that, yeah, when we, when we work on, I, like that is usually my advice, which was what I said to you is just wait a while. Like don't, don't think of overnight training as something that needs to happen at the same time as daytime training or even right after it. Like it's something that because I mean, bodies mature at different, like, you know, levels, right? Or on their own timeline. So a lot of kids who are, you know, five, six, even seven are going to pee in their sleep. And that's, that's okay. Like mm -hmm. it, it, to, to sort of force the issue and really try to get them to get it is going to mean a lot of lost sleep in your home because you're going to have to do something where you're waking them up at night in one way or another um, to get them to pee because their bladder's just not big enough to make it through the night. So I do think uh, just, just wait a while. Um, but then like, it sounds like from what you're describing, Ainsley was actually at a place where maybe she was making it through the night dry. And then perhaps she would wake up in the morning and be kind of comfy in her bed and just be like, I'll just pee in my pull up. I'm here. I'm so mm -hmm. cozy. And we do see that sometimes. So if you say something like, you know what, if you're going to get up and go pee and your diaper's dry, there's going to be a jelly bean waiting for you. That can be enough, right? That, which is awesome. So she was really, really ready for that. And her body mm -hmm. was ready. So that's really cool. So I do usually advise people just, just give it some time and light. But if, I mean, when we're talking, we're talking about kids over 10 today, yeah, it's probably time. Like you could start tackling this. So a good first step is like you described, Mary, where you're just offering something a little bit special if they wake up dry. And if they can understand that sort of rule, which not all learners with Down syndrome would understand a, an explanation like that, um, but but some would for sure. And it's something that can be a little extra motivation to um, to make it to the toilet in the morning. That's awesome. Otherwise, I, I definitely advise using um, the chummy alarm, which I, yep. I mentioned on both the previous episodes. So they chummy, C-H-U-M-M-I-E. The specific alarm they have for bedwetting, which I really like is like, it's a big, it's a big pad you can put on the bed. It's like really big. I think it's like two feet by three feet. And it's got really sensitive um, wetness sensors in it so that if the person starts to pee in the bed, it beep, 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 it'll wake them up unless they're super deep sleeper, but it'll probably wake you up if you're in the home with them and you can help them um, get to the bathroom really quickly. It trains the, the, the bladder and the brain, right? To ooh, wake up, you're starting to pee. And then they, what happens is they start to wake up just before they start to pee um, as their sort of muscles learn what to do. Um, but again, like I said, that means everybody's going to be waking up in the middle of the night. So if you don't want to do that, it might be something to wait a little while anyway. Um, and then with, we always pair that. So the chummy alarm with um, also giving some sort of cool reward thing in the morning if they wake up dry as well. So okay. um, yeah, if the alarm doesn't go off all night and if they are dry in the morning, the bed's dry, then they would get something, something cool for that too. Um, but yeah, there, so there's ways to work on it. Those alarms work really well, but again, mm -hmm you're going to wake up in the night and so is your kid and some of some of the kids I know are really hard to get back to sleep um mm -hmm. so think of prioritize this amongst all the things 
you have to work on, right? Um, yeah. And it, but it's something that's possible for sure. Yeah, because for me, I wasn't that bothered that Ainsley was like she was staying dry during the day, which was the goal. But and then her wearing a pull up at night, I wasn't, I didn't really care. And then that she just did it on her own, so it was mm-hmm. so fantastic. And actually the regression was during the day that she had like with COVID it wasn't. And then I just used the jelly bean for that. And then yeah, it worked like a charm. So it was fantastic. I see. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, and that's I, but great. The day like nighttime, like she's very proud that she stays dry during the night. So, and I don't, oh, good. yeah. And I yeah. don't have to reward her for that. Like, you know, she just gets a big like hooray in the morning and stuff. So, which is really awesome because I wasn't really expecting it to really happen. It just kind of, started and then it just kept extending mm. so it was it was great so i'm very... oh i see oh sorry i misunderstood that right yeah no, that's, no, that's, that's okay great yeah that's yeah she... awesome i'm so happy to hear that she's proud of it too because it's, yeah. it's sort of like it's an interesting phenomenon that can happen with toileting it's like even if the, the kiddo wasn't interested in toileting before it started and they weren't like i want to be a big girl i want to be a big boy i really want to do this which is those those so-called prerequisites you're supposed to wait for sometimes they get proud later which is really cool like ainsley now is thinking i'm pretty awesome i made it wow. all night without my diaper right like and that's something that's a nice little side effect that she does get sort of the the, the cool factor about it um even though in the beginning maybe she didn't really care right yeah um, so it's kind of neat to see as she matures too that she knows that's something that's kind of cool that's awesome yeah. to hear yeah so i'm quite yeah, happy that, about that yeah and uh one mom said her son is 17 he has a dual diagnosis and is still in diapers and it doesn't seem to register when he's having a BM until after the event. He dislikes the toilet. He will copy his dad to pee, but nothing happens. And she said, we can't get him to sit on the toilet for any length of time. Now, this might go back to what you were saying earlier in this episode. So I, I don't know if you're able to comment on that at all. Yeah, I think that just because it's, uh, it's all it's all hard um and he's not kind of getting he's not getting any steps toward it I kind of think you you are at square one and it doesn't it's they don't necessarily need to look like they're registering the feeling of a poop before you start um but I do think that he probably needs a more intensive toileting method um okay so he um and the fact that he has a lot of trouble sitting on the toilet, it might mean that rapid toilet training, which like we've said is the main method that I use might be hard because there's a lot of sitting for that. But maybe they haven't tried having him sit with his very, very favorite things like that might be something that they need to try. I, I usually suggest if you can make rapid toilet training happen, that's a good first place to start. But it's pretty labor intensive and difficult for families mm-hmm. to implement, but it just works fast and works well. So um I, we actually, uh, I have um, a video series coming up that families can access where they can, they can learn a lot about different sort of intensive from square one toilet training methods they can use, which is an update of a previous workshop, Dr. Pat Miranda and I did like, I don't know, it was like five or six years ago, we recorded and just this, uh, just last month we recorded an updated version of this workshop that's really, really comprehensive. Like it was a two-day workshop where we outlined in tons of detail, both rapid toilet training and an alternative method that's a little bit less intensive, but still really effective, um, like the long way method, Pat calls it. And that is something like for this family, I would think if they were able to see that, it would be a great way for them to think, okay, from square one, which approach might work best for our kid, 
how are we going to go through this? But it, we, we very much um, in those workshops, we were describing um, techniques that would work for older people, for sure. We, it's really not about little kids. Um, and the, I should say the way to access them is through autism community training. If you Google autism community training, um, their website comes up and it has a ton of awesome free video workshops on it, which is such a cool service. And you'll see on there now, um, there's our, our old one from, I think it was 2014, we filmed it, but the new one, the 2021 toileting workshop will be up sometime soon. I'll be sure okay. to let you know, Mary, cause I know you, a lot of people, um, check out your social media and, uh, you yeah, connect for people sure. on forums and stuff who would, who would see this. So, and it's it be, just because it's on autism community training, it, it's really not specific to, to, to people with an autism diagnosis, like everything that Pat and I suggested, um, in those videos is totally applicable to, to toileting learners with Down syndrome too. Um, and we, we provided, you know, some case study examples of challenges that we, we focused on in practice and kind of overcame and how we did that. And a lot of them are examples of um, actually kids with Down syndrome or dual, dual diagnosis that we work with. So I don't want people to think, it's, oh, it's an autism toileting workshop. It's, it's really not. And none of the advice that we give in it is specific. So just because this family, it does sound like they're at square one. I think that would be a really good resource to to look at and okay. um, yeah, pick a method kind of and learn learn a ton about it. There's much, much more detail in this new workshop than in the old one, if anyone's seen the old one. So I'm excited for it to come out because I want to point people to it and go, here's so much free, awesome information. <laughs> so that'll be a really good resource, I think. Oh, that is really fantastic. And yes, I'll definitely, we'll put the link in the this episode because hopefully it'll be out when this episode airs. And mm -hmm. I'll definitely, yeah, I'll definitely post it in my social media as well when uh, it does come out. And one of the final questions I had, and I'm not sure if it would be you or if it's more of an OT question, but, and this comes up all the time, is about bum wiping. Because, mm -hmm. you know, um, like any tips that you have, like our kids tend to have shorter arms. So it does make it more challenging to, to wipe their bum effectively. But I don't know if you have any tips or if this would be more of something for an OT to deal with. Yeah, it, it is often the domain of an OT, but I'll, I'll take a crack at it from kind of my angle and tell you what I, what I know, what I would do about it. Um, so one thing I, I usually advise is to actually just keep helping with bum wiping until the person's really, really good with pooping on the toilet. So I know that can be a bit counterintuitive. A lot of people think of the whole bathroom routine, like pooping, wiping, flushing, hand washing as one like chain that needs to be worked on all together. But I think it's best actually, if the trainer, so you, often a parent kind of helps with this until the person's already really skilled at the actual pooping part. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you kind of, you risk overloading them with too much instruction all at once. Like it's really hard just to learn to poop in the toilet make the rest of it easy for them, right? right. Um, so once the person is comfortably and readily pooping, it usually makes sense to then do some hand over hand instruction on wiping. So, okay. um, you know, get them to kind of use your hands to help their hands, you know, open perhaps a wipes container, wipe, um, 
and put the like keep wiping until the wipe is clean keep getting new ones and don't worry for a while about the fact that they may use a ton um, teach them to dispose of the wipes properly like don't flush them down the toilet because I and I do I should say too I think it's obvious but I do suggest using like a wet wipe at first mm-hmm. just they're so much easier um, yeah. and less less like irritating and painful for trainees and toilet paper a lot of families um again I think this might be a COVID thing because we've been home so much a lot of families have been installing those little like portable bidets mm-hmm. um which are like there's what is it tushy is one of the brands there's a few there's a few brands they're awesome for for teaching this as well um because they they have these little nozzles and they're very they're very easy to operate and you kind of use them in lieu of toilet paper um many many cultures have been doing this forever and think what are we you know North Americans doing just catching up to the idea like get a bidet oh how fancy it's like oh please like a lot of many people use water to wash instead so that that can be kind of an option, but then you're not going to have it everywhere. Right. So I think that's why a lot of families have been getting them because we're home so much and it's like, it's a good way to teach them, but um, it can be maybe a good first foray because they can get super clean easily. Um, That's sort of a side note, not necessary at all. I do think that wet wipes though, it's the same idea where it's just, it's not that rough feeling of toilet paper. It's easier to get completely clean. Um, but just yet yeah, teach them not to flush them down the toilet. So have yeah. a little other way to dispose of them. And then, yeah, you, you basically, you want to use hand over hand until you can get sort of muscle memory happening. And then you gradually fade how much help you're actually giving. So you're maybe just, just touching their hand while they wipe, as opposed to being, it's really, you're doing it, but with their hand, you know what I mean? So a gradual fade is really key. It's as far as I'm concerned, but it is something for sure to ask your OT about because exactly the, the anatomical, um, issues that can come up with some people down to like, like shorter arms. Yeah. It could make mm-hmm. it more challenging. There might be different devices for wiping that an OT could recommend. So it's a great idea to run it, run it by them for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Katie, I so appreciate your time and I know our listeners will as well. And I just so appreciate you coming on for the third time. And mm-hmm. I know, uh, if, people are interested in hiring you to help them like what's the best way for them to contact you yeah that's a that's thank you mary it's awesome i love being on for the third time um, it, it was <laughs> we'll great. have you I on always, all the yeah, time every season we'll have you on <laughs> well there's always questions but no i'm happy to come back it's like people have people have great questions so thank you. yeah and it's again an area where the the yeah the the help is needed. Um, yeah, so they can visit our website. It's Blackbird SE, like special education, blackbirdse.com. Um, and yeah, I actually, there's a little feature on there now where if you're not in BC and you're not looking for direct in-home help, but you want to just ask questions, you can just book a Zoom meeting with me right there. There's a little link to do that. Unfortunately, oh, fantastic. yeah, it's super easy. Um, unfortunately, there is just because um, a lot of people that have found me through you um, are all over the world. Sometimes it's really hard to use like your insurance to pay if we're not in the same country. So that can be a big hurdle. So I just, um, yeah, sometimes people have to pull, like, yeah, do a little out of pocket for my services, but I, there's no, you know, um, I don't have like a minimum number of hours you need to book or anything like that. Like if you just want to chat with me for half an hour and get some advice about your specific kid, that's totally fine. You're not committing to like a big long-term expense or anything like that. So we try, try to keep it cheap and quick. Um, so yeah, there's a way they can book right online and make an appointment with me there. And we can talk on Zoom about your kid, your situation, and I can give you advice 
from there. So yeah, but if you are in BC, we're happy to work with you in your home, whatever. We do lots and lots of different things around this, this issue. Oh, that is so fantastic, Katie. I that I didn't know that you were doing that. Like I knew you were helping people all over the world, but that's so great that they can just book you for a quick, you know, one-on-one -on -one chat or or what have you. So, and I I know that a lot of parents will really appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you, Mary. Yeah, it was in part because so many people, yeah, found me through T21 Home, <laughs> which was cool. And I had to have a quick way to go here, book in and we can chat. And um, I think that it's it's a good, it's just nice to be able to ask about your own situation, right? And your own kids. So yeah, thank you. That's, I think it's been really helpful so far. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So Mary, there's, there seems to be a bit of a different challenge and some different techniques for working with the older kids as opposed to the younger kids. Yes. And, you know, for some people, you might just have to start right from the very beginning, you know, when you, you know, because who, who knows what some of the challenges are when your child is older, that may be the root of the issues that they're having now. So I, you know, as Katie said, sometimes you just have to start right from the very beginning. But I also recall Katie saying, I think it was in her very first episode, that she believes that all people with special needs can be toilet trained, barring any underlying medical condition. Because the research, I mean, it's from the 70s, so it's a long time ago, but it was on adults with special needs. They were in their 20s and 30s, I believe, and they were all trained within five days. Now, these are people who have who had lived their whole lives in in pull-ups. I hate the word diapers for an adult, but for pull-ups or something, right? So, and it worked. Yeah. We really need to find a better name for that. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, Katie knows her stuff and I know that she's in pretty high demand because of this need, you know, but she, she knows it. And, you know, honestly, I can't, speak highly enough of her that if you're having challenges is to contact Katie and, you know, get a plan in place because it is a huge milestone getting toilet trained for our kids and, and any child with some additional needs, but it's a huge, huge milestone and we all want it. We want it yesterday and last week, you know, and especially if the child is older and, you know, maybe has some other additional needs like autism or what have you, but it's still very possible. And I, I don't want parents to think it's hopeless. I know I noticed one, one of the things that struck me in the conversation was the f there appeared to be some of the kids, some of the some of the, the you know let me call them students. Okay. Uh, some of the students had a fear of being in the bathroom on the toilet. Mm-hmm which I thought was rather like, where does that come from? And maybe something happened, Somebody right? yelled at them and they fear it. And, and like, like, I mean, it could be behavioral, could be whatever, right? Or maybe like, you know, sometimes kids think they're going to get, you know, swirled down. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think a lot of it is just trying to get to the root of what it is, right? What's preventing them yeah. from, this milestone. Well, so, and, and, and the, the part that where she said about, you know, don't start them on the toilet, mm -hmm. you know, because you'll have to train them twice. Oh, don't start them on the, the potty. Oh, okay. Is, okay. 
I mean, there are some exceptions, but I've always remembered that. I, I, and that actually comes from the woman who trained her, uh, Pat Miranda. She's another, you know, toilet training guru is don't use a potty because you will train twice. And I've always remembered that. So, you know, but there are some instances Katie talks about where you have to use like a camping kind of toilet, right. you know, for kids that are afraid or you maybe like, you know, it's beside the bathroom and, and so on. So, I mean, there are exceptions to every rule, but in most cases you don't want to be using like a potty of some sort. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, thanks again to Katie. I mean, she's a wonderful guest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so much knowledge and yeah yeah it, it, it amazes me you know the the information that comes out because i know who would think for yeah, exactly. training, who right? would think yeah all right but also that there is such a need for her services such a need you know because i just read about it all the time yeah and that people aren't getting the help that they need so uh and next time we're going to talk to an amazing young lady mm-hmm Riley Kate. I'll I'll be honest with you. Like when she, when she was talking and going on, like talking about her situation, her, uh, her, her program and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of energy there, I mean, I'm old. She wore me out. She, yeah, she's pretty amazing. She's this amazing 16 year old from Nashville who has started uh, a little nonprofit called the Trium tribe, which is what we're going to talk about next week. And uh, it's just a really heartwarming, inspiring story. And, uh, you know, it really gave me hope for young people. You well, know? She, she, to me, it was like, okay, now here's, here's one of those people that's going to change a part of our world. Yeah, I agree 100%. So yeah, so def- it's a definite uh, listen. You know, I think people will really enjoy hearing her story and, and what she's doing. And it's just so amazing. It's quite inspirational. And, and very inspirational. Yeah. I really felt so awesome after chatting with her. It was just, it was just wonderful. Yeah, I felt awesome and awesome tired <laughs> because she, gives yeah, she has a lot of energy, so much energy and so much, uh, so much, um, so much information mm-hmm. about what she's done. So, oh yeah. yeah. And in such a short time too, yeah, exactly. I was stunned. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So that's next time. And we're done here for today. So why don't you take us on out? Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your stories. What is important to you? What is going on in your life? You can email me at info at T21mum.com or find me on Facebook or on IG, Instagram, and Twitter at Trisomy21Mama. And also please subscribe. It would mean a lot and leave a review so we can become more searchable for others in the Down syndrome community. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Take care. Thanks, Ron. Bye. Bye.